Welcome to the Lex City Church Podcast. To learn more about the ministries of Lex City, please visit LexCity.Church. Daphne's right. We'll see you guys all next year. What an incredible event we had last Sunday. And uh, man, students, glad you guys are here. Uh, I know what this Sunday is all about. Like, I talk, you guys sleep because you're exhausted. I get it, all right? So I'm going to make a deal with you guys. All right, if you guys can stay awake for the next 35 minutes, uh, your parents will give you $10 each, okay? It's going to be great. So... If your parents have a problem, they can take it up with not me later. It'll be great. So, well, welcome to week one of a series that we are calling uh, Heart for the House. We're going to be talking about how God wants to capture our hearts for not only the house that we live in, our families, but also here, uh, the church house, specifically in the area of our finances and our generosity. And so, now, here's what we're going to do, because talking about money makes some of you guys nervous. We're going to begin the series by talking about some laws. They are called the laws of physical balance, and there's three of them. If you understand these laws of physical balance, you'll better understand even how, to, how it relates to your finances. You're not really into the whole God thing or the church thing. You're checking the church out today. This will help you in your life regardless, okay? So you guys can go to Lexi.info, click on message notes, follow along with the whole sermon. And so the first law is called the law, uh, it's called the reference point, all right? So I'm going to balance this right here. Here's the deal. If I keep the reference point on the top, oh, I'm losing it. On the top of this pipe right here, then I can keep balancing. If I look away, it messes up, right? If I look away, if I look down, I lose my balance. But if I can continue to keep the proper reference point, which is the top of this pipe right here, then I can continue to have balance. So that's the first law. The second law is the, is the law of constant corrections. So as it's moving around, I correct it with my left hand. I help it out. I have to make constant adjustments, constant corrections there. And then the third law... It's called, uh, it's, it's called uh, to have a clear objective. So for me right now, balancing this pole is my objective. I want this pole to stay vertical, all right? And that's my objective. But I do that by keeping, making sure that I have a proper perspective on the top and I'm making constant adjustments. So if you've ever seen, TJ, where are you at? I'm gonna check this at you now. Nicely done. It's very exciting stuff here. And so when you think about the clear objective piece of that, like have you ever been like on a hike and there's a creek and you have to cross the creek and maybe there's a plank or a piece of wood and you're walking across it and your objective, right, is to balance yourself across that board and to get across, right? If you, how many of you guys have ever in your whole life you've been pulled over by the police for doing something in your car? Thank you. Thank you guys for being honest. People are like, uh, yeah, that's fine. All right, so when you get pulled over, it's late at night, sometimes... If they suspect that maybe you've been drinking or something, they have you get out of the car and they have you walk a straight line, right? So you've seen people that do this, they put their arms out and they walk like this, right? I gotta tell you, if you need your arms out to walk a straight line, you're gonna ride in the cop car, right? You're not getting to ride home in your own car that night. But your clear objective was to walk the straight line and get home on your own. And so why am I talking about three laws of balance? Well. There's far more in the Bible about how to manage our money than there actually is about giving our money. So we're going to spend the next few weeks kind of walking through that together and see what Scripture says, because God has a lot to say on the subject. And so we only have a few weeks, I'm going to talk quickly about the first law of balance, just a little bit, and then we're going to spend the rest of our time on the third law today. And so, but the Scripture I want to talk about first is Matthew 6, and it says this, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Most of us experience this verse on a personal level. Ever been in a relationship with someone, maybe ladies out there, 
and you're competing with the person's stuff. So you met a guy, the guy's great, and then you realize pretty quickly that he really likes you, but he really loves his car, right? And you see by the way he treats the car, he treats the car better than you, it's always in amazing shape, right? And so he just takes care of that, right? Competing with our stuff. Right now we compete in relations with our devices, with our phones, right? Like my wife and I were double date the other night with another, some friends of ours, and I looked over and there was a couple on a date and this was their whole date. Weren't looking at each other, looking at their devices the whole time. And the food came, they're like, oh, well now the food's worthy of putting the device on, but not you, right? And so we compete with our stuff. I moved here from Texas and people collect things in Texas. In Texas, they collect guns. It's, a, it's just a lot of guns. Like, the houses have more guns than family members. Like, a best friend of mine, I said, how many guns do you have? How, do you have? how many guns do you have? And he said, I, uh, I have 54 guns. And I was like, I think that's a problem. I don't, that seems like a, that's a militia. That's not, that's not a collection anymore, right? And so the problem that happens is, when money gets tight, and his wife is like, we probably should sell some of this, of your collection. The kids need new shoes. And his thought was, that's a terrible idea. Like, the, kid, the kids' shoes are fine. Like, they can wear them another season, right? And so we compete with their stuff. And some of us, we've hurt people's feelings and we've jeopardized relationships because of things that we've said in regards to our stuff. And I have a general rule that I've tried to follow for a long time now. Like, if I'm gonna make a purchase, if I'm not willing to loan that thing out, I'm probably too connected to that thing. If I'm not willing to buy a vehicle, like we just got done, like we bought a house, but we just got done letting junior and senior guys stay at our house all weekend long. If we're not willing to buy that house, but then willing to use it for ministry and let people use that, then I probably shouldn't have that thing. And so the next statement Jesus makes in the book of Luke, when you read this one, you kind of go, I don't know about this one, but wait a minute, let me think about this one, all right? And so if you're a Christ follower, this is a tension that you're, you're gonna have at some point in your life. Luke 16 says this, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The proper reference point for managing money, the thing you need to keep your eye on at all times, is where is it going? Where is my money going? Because that's what I'm valuing. You know where your money's going. Let me say it this way. You need to be knowing where your money is going. Because if it's a rhyme, you remember it better, right? Say it with me. I need to be knowing where my money is going, all right? So for the rest of your life, never take your eye off of your money. That's the point of reference for the rest of your personal financial life. But today we're going to talk about for the rest of our time together, the third law of balance about having a clear objective. And we're going to answer the question from the Bible today, what is our basic overall objective when it comes to money? What is that we're trying to do? I could ask each and every one of you guys, like, what are your financial goals? And many of you guys probably have financial goals, but I want to answer that question. What is the one thing, if you had to summarize here, that you're trying to accomplish with your money? And some of you, you thought about it before, right? A lot of you would say, I just want to provide financially for my family. And that's a good goal. That's a great objective. But if that's all that you're thinking about, then you're not going to really have balance in your financial life. In fact, I've met a lot of wealthy people who have a very difficult time giving or being generous because they're just like, no, I gotta take care of my family and that's all that I'm thinking about. And so they're not balanced. 
And I'm going to give us some other things, and maybe you can fall into one of these categories, these statements. Some of us, our financial goal is this, to make all the money that I can. To make all the money that I can. And that's important. Part of balance is making money, but you know as well as I do, that's, that's your only focus, then you're neglecting a lot of other things. If your goal in life is to make as much as you can, it doesn't mean that you always manage it well. Maybe you're just really good at making it. The second one is this. Maybe you're here and you're like, my goal is to save all the money that I can. I'm all about saving, 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 saving. Chances are you're probably like not super fun to live with, all right? No pointing, all right? And saving is really important. And we talk about saving and and there's balance in that. And you may be like an incredible saver, but you have a very difficult time giving or lending. And your family feels like you just have to beg you for every dollar. And your answer is always like, hey, guys, I'm just being careful. You'll thank me later. Which is partly true, but it doesn't give us a full set of balance. Maybe you're this next one. And this one no one ever like says as a goal. But as we look at our life, it can become this. My financial goal is to spend all the money I can. High schoolers say amen. There you go, all right? Because you just spend, 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 and spend, and that's your objective. And my goal is to spend as much money as possible. And again, no one writes that down as a goal. But the truth is when we have all this consumer debt and we look at our bank account and we're realizing that every month we are spending more than we are making, that's kind of your financial goal at this point. Like a lot of us, and Amazon has just made it so much, so much easier and difficult at the same time. Like, some of you guys are like, it's a bad day if you're like, wait, a box did not show up at my house from the Amazon truck today? Like, this is a rough day. I'm like, it's Tuesday. You're fine, you know? But we go on there, and what happens? We can get things so quickly now. If we can't get prime shipping, we're like, this isn't even worth it. Who waits four days for shipping? This is ridiculous. And so we just spend all that we can. Maybe you fall in this category. You, your financial goal is to give all the money that you can. And you guys are like, finally, the executive pastor said it. This is what he wants us to know. Yes, being generous is super important. It is a spiritual discipline. But if that's all you focus on, that's also not balance either. And maybe you would say this one. I just want to be financially free to do whatever I want. And that's positive. It's liberating. That is a great goal. The problem with that is what does that really mean and we've all heard in the media, or you know people, right, who are, who are th- theoretically financially free and they have enough money to do whatever they want to do. And it seems like a worthwhile goal. And for many of us, we kind of grew up thinking that's where I want to get, right? And yet we've met so many people that that's their goal and they've wrecked their lives. And they make millions and millions of dollars. And they've acquired all this stuff. And then they end up actually going bankrupt. And we hear these stories. And what do we do when we hear those stories? We think these things. How could someone be so dumb? to amass all this wealth and lose it or ruin it or mismanagement. Then you think, if it were me, if this happened to me, I would be so much smarter than those other people who learned to raise all that money that I didn't know how to raise, but I'm smarter than them, right? We think that way. But we don't know if we had that kind of money. Some of you are like, Lord, just give me that opportunity one time to make all that money. I'll do it differently, right? But we don't know what that looks like for us. So the problem of simply wanting to be financially free, it, it, leaving it at that, is it doesn't give you a compass. It doesn't give you a moral compass. It doesn't really create any boundaries for you. And it's a great thing to shoot for. So saving all you can, making all you can, making and giving all you can, taking care of your family, all those are worthwhile goals, but it's just not enough. If you pursue any one or the two of those and neglect the others, you will find yourself 
out of balance, without a clear objective, without a proper reference point. And so what is it? What is the one thing that should guard and drive and serve as sort of the true north on the compass in terms of my personal finances? What's the clear objective that it would give me direction as it relates to my income, my debt, my spending, my lifestyle? So we're going to look at, we're going to answer that question from the Old Testament today, and it's very interesting. The Old and New Testament both teach this principle that when it comes to why in the world do we have money, what are we supposed to do with our money, and how are we supposed to make decisions with our money, Old and New Testament teach the same thing. And I'll tell you up front, if we can kind of learn to understand this, it's a very liberating truth. And I think this is the one where we think and we kind of get this fear, but here's what God wants for us. God doesn't want something from you. God wants something for you. If we would just kind of relax into that one simple truth and allow this to be your one primary objective as it relates to all things money and all of your wealth, all of your income, it can be life-changing. So I'm excited to talk about today. We're going to be looking at um, First Chronicles in the Old Testament. It's probably not a book that you woke up this morning and, and thought you would read, but it's kind of cool. David, at the time, it kind of shares like part of his story in First Chronicles. He's in a lot of other books as well, but this happened about 1000 C, uh, BC. He's the king of Israel at this time, and and, uh, and so this is about a 1,000 th- years before. So this is 3,000 years of literature. So when you open up your Bible, you were looking at 3,000 years of literature, which is incredible. That should be in a museum, but we have access to it all the time, which is really, really cool. And so King David, this place in his life where all of his enemies are defeated, all the battles have been won. Israel's pretty much at peace at this point. They are the kingdom and the empire of, like, of envy of all the surrounding nations around them. And so David is by himself one day, we don't know if he's looking out the window or just had to stop, but it occurred to him, one way or the other, here I am, I'm living in this incredible palace, this incredible kingdom, and God is still kind of living in a tent. Looks out the window and he sees what they refer to as the tabernacle, which is a giant elaborate tent. And in this tent, in the middle or close to the middle, was called the Holy of Holies, where this Ark of the Covenant lived or stayed. The Ark of the Covenant was just a big wooden box inlaid with gold and decorated. And inside of it were the commandments that God gave to Moses that he came on the mountaintop and he brought those things down with him. And they would carry this wherever they went. And at night when they would set up camp, they would put up this tent and they would put the Ark of the Covenant in there. And this was called the tabernacle. So finally when the nation of Israel quit wandering around and finally settled in Israel and moved into the city that we know as Jerusalem, they built this fabulous capital and they just left the tabernacle there with the Ark of the Covenant. And David says, you know what? It's probably like time for like God to quit camping out there. And we need to build God a house. So he decides to build a temple. And this will be the first ever temple built uh, towards the Jewish God. And so he starts the process of building the temple. And then God speaks to David in this. And he says this to David. He says, David, great idea, but you can't be the one to build it. I can't let you build my house. I can't let you build the temple. He said, David, the problem is you have too much blood on your hands. You are a man of war. You are a man of murder. You are a man who, in order to get where I called you to be, you had to do things that I believe disqualify you from building my temple. And you read that, and you're like, man, that's kind of harsh, right? doesn't seem fair. Like, if I'm David, I'm pretty frustrated by this. But that's not how he was. Instead, he says, Okay, I'll let my son Solomon build the temple, but God, I'm so excited about this idea. I'm going to hire the architects. I'm going to get the building design. I'm going to raise all of the money. And when my son Solomon is king, everything will be prepared for Solomon to build your house, to build your temple. 
And so David starts hiring architects. He starts raising the money for what would be known as Solomon's temple, one of the wonders of the ancient world. And so he went to the national treasury and he extracted all this gold and all this silver and he sets it aside for the building. And then it says that he took his own personal wealth, hundreds and hundreds of pounds of gold and silver that would amass to billions of dollars. One scholar said it was $14 billion that he personally put towards this project. And then David made an announcement to all the major families in Israel to come and gather in Jerusalem and he announced, we're going to fund the construction for a house for our God, for a temple. And for a temple that you may not even be alive when we begin the construction, and very few of you will definitely be even alive when it's completed. But everybody, it says in the Bible, was so pumped about this, and they gave generously all, all this wealth is pouring in from all over the kingdom, and they gave wholeheartedly, and they didn't give begrudgingly. And in the midst of all of this wonderful chaos, David prays a prayer, and it's recorded in 1 Chronicles 29. In this prayer, it's so awesome. We kind of gain insight into how David viewed his wealth, and we get insight into how God views wealth, and it perfectly parallels with how Jesus would teach about wealth thousands of years later. So let me read this prayer to you, and we're going to kind of walk through it and discover, together, answer the question, what is the one thing that should drive the way we manage and handle our wealth and our stuff, and how do we stay balanced? So 1 Chronicles 29, beginning in verse 10. David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly, saying, praise, to be, praise be to you, Lord, the God of our father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor. In other words, God, this is all about you. Everything in life is ultimately all about you. Everything in heaven and earth is yours. David says everything, all the stuff that I am bringing out of the storehouse, all the stuff we're putting together as a nation for the temple, it's all yours. Then he continues on in verse 11. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. David's basically saying, like, even though people here on earth call me king, you are the ultimate king. You are the one who is exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In other words, not only does everything belong to you, everything comes from you. Wealth and honor come from you. The honor and the wealth of my nation come from you. The wealth and the honor that anyone enjoys in life, ultimately it comes from you. So everything belongs to God, everything comes from God. Then he continues on. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. In other words, David says anybody who's accomplished anything in life, it's because God gave them the strength to do so. So anytime we say, look at what I've done, or David could have said, look at what I've done, it's really not about what you've done, it's what God has allowed you to do. Anyone with extraordinary talent that allows them to bubble to the service in their industry or their company, David says, remember, it is God that gave you the ability and that talent. And I think back, like, if you're someone that, like, knew David for a long time, maybe you were in his military ranks, maybe you fought beside David, in the middle of his prayer, you got to be thinking, like, time out. Like, I don't want to interrupt your prayer, but time out. Like, David, I've been with you for years. Where you created these great battle strategies, where you made all these really hard decisions, where you made all these sacrifices. Are you telling me that all of that that you did was actually God? exalting you to a place of honor? But David, those were things that you were doing. And David's like, yeah, 
That's exactly what I'm saying. I don't know how all of it works. I know I worked hard. I know I was disciplined. I know I made hard decisions. But when I look back on my life, I can't begin to take credit for what happened. God is the one that exalts, and God is the one that gives strength to all, which means that not only does everything belong to God, and not only does everything come from God, ultimately everything is dispensed by God. Exaltation, strength, honor, ability, talent, opportunity, ingenuity, tenacity, all of those things that have helped us to get where we are in life. David would say, well, before you get too excited about yourself, know that God is the one that gave you all of those things. Everything belongs to God, comes from God, and is dispensed by God. Then listen how he ends this. Verse 13. Now our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? They're just basically saying like, we are so honored and privileged to get to build this house. And listen to the last part. This is so powerful. It's like a summary statement for all of it. In verse 14, everything comes from you and we have given you only what comes from your hand. Think about that. If everything, and Jesus echoes this perfect in the New Testament and all throughout the Bible, if everything belongs to God, everything comes from God, everything is distributed by God as he sees fit, if that is the case, then what should be the one thing that drives all of our financial decisions, all the things about our stuff, what should be our one driving force? As you read scripture, it's boiled down to two words. Our objective should be this, honor God. It's simple, honor God with everything. Let me tell you how I was raised. I was raised in the church, super excited about that. I have a great history. My parents uh, are incredible, raised us in this way, and, and raised us even in, in the area of generosity to make sure that we were tithing. So I've been tithing since I was a little kid. My wife and I, it's been our journey for 22 years. No matter even if we hadn't had enough money or not, we tithe every single month. But tithe is just a, a word that just means 10%. So what it means is that if you make a dollar, you give a dime. If you make $10, you give a dollar. If you make $100, you give $10. You give $1,000, you give $100. If you get $10,000, if you make $10,000, you, whew, that's hard, right? You give $1,000. And so I, I learned that principle. But what happened in my life was I was really faithful in that area. But then I was like, but God, the other 90% is mine to do whatever I want to do with it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you this and I'm gonna give you this with joy. But man, the rest of this is mine. So God, if you want that part too or you want me to honor you with that, like there's plenty of people that aren't even tithing at all. Go talk to them. Get away from me, right? Go talk to them. The scripture never hints that that is the proper way to view our wealth. It's not, it's simply, it, it, this is not simply about giving, it's about living. This is, it's about all of it. Scripture teaches that we need to honor God, but not just a percentage, but we honor God with all of it. Let me illustrate this. I have a 2011 Jeep Wrangler. Love my vehicle. I've had it for a long time. If you came to me and said, Zach, can we take it on a camping trip? I'd be like, sure. Here's the keys. You can borrow my Jeep and go take it on a camping trip. But here's the question. What percentage of my car do you think I expect you to take care of? Am I thinking you're going to come back and you're gonna wash like the front quarter panel and maybe vacuum out one of the seats and that's it? But since it's not your car, you're gonna take care of all of it, I'm gonna honor you by how I treat your car, right? It's the same thing here. God says it's how I view your stuff, your wealth, your money, your income, your 401k, your inheritance, whatever it is, not about, it's not about paying me off with a percentage. Don't get me wrong, percentage giving is biblical and you should do that, but it's not just about that. The driving force 
In terms of staying balanced, it's to learn how to honor God with everything. When I got married 22 years ago and I stood in a church with my wife and we did vows to each other, if, you ever, if you're not married yet, you don't understand this yet, but you're not just doing the vows to your spouse and the Lord, you're doing them to your wife's dad as well, okay? It was like, I honor and cherish you. I'm like, Ashley's dad, you're hearing this, right? You got this, right? Like you're saying it to that person as well. I don't think her dad was over there going, I wonder what percentage of my daughter he plans to honor. I don't think he was over there thinking, like, as long as he feeds her, like, we're good. That's like 10% of life, right? Just eating. No, he was thinking, you better honor 100% of her, boy. It's the whole thing. If you don't believe me, read the Old and New Testament. God doesn't think about honor me with their percentage. God says, look, I own it all. What you manage in this life, I have allowed you to manage because I distribute as I see fit. I don't know how all of that works, but if you, again, if you take the Bible seriously, there it is. So my objective is when it comes to income, when it comes to saving, when it comes to loaning people money, when it comes to giving, when it comes to buying stuff, everything should be driven through this grid of, okay, God, how do I honor you? How do I honor you with everything? And that puts a weird check in your heart or you're struggling with that right now. I would say, why do you want to resist wanting to honor God with everything? And you might answer me back like, I don't know, I'm going to honor him with everything, but maybe he's going to take something from me. I have two answers for that. First of all, if he wanted to take it, he can, he's not waiting for you. He can do whatever he wants. He's God. Secondly, this is important. God doesn't want to take your money. He doesn't want your money to take you. Because he knows where your treasure is, there is your heart as well. It's a good reminder. God doesn't want something from you. He wants something for you. Here's how I know that. Because as Christians, and history supports this idea, 2,000 years ago, God sent his son into the world not to get something from you. John 3.16 doesn't say, for God so wanted something from you that he sent his son. It says God so loved you that he sent his son to die for you. When he did that, he's saying, I want something for you. I don't need something from you. So we have this choice to tell God, I'm not going to just throw in a few dollars into the plate or just help a few poor people out or whatever it is, and I'm going to do the rest of what my 90% or whatever on my own. When you finally get to the point where you say, God, I'm going to honor you with everything, there is freedom there. Because we've all lived in that place where it's like, it's mine, 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 mine. Does that actually bring us peace? It doesn't. Because we're holding on to it so tightly. And the more that we make, it doesn't always give us peace either because then we have more to stress about. We have more to ensure. We have more to worry about. And we've met people that have lots of money and they're miserable. Because it's this or that. It's either mine and I'm going to control it or God, I want my, to live my life and honor you, not with just a percentage, but with all of it. So if you're like me, the question is like, oh, great, so what do I do? Give me a list, give me a law, give me a command, give me, give me some parameters, what do I do? My answer is, I don't know what you should do, but you can start by doing this. Just pray a prayer. God, show me how to honor you with everything that I have. And when I use the word wealth, Wealth can be, if you may make 100 bucks a month, you may make $100,000 a month. It doesn't matter. That is the wealth that God has entrusted you to have. Teenagers, whether you have a job or not, whether you're sleeping right now or not, you, God's given you this principle as well. And when you pray this prayer for some of you, do you know what's gonna happen? God will say, 
you have to give more. You're great at saving, but you're horrible at giving. Some of you, he will say, you need to save more. You're very generous, but you don't have a plan for the future. You need to make a plan. Some of you need to spend less. It's not that you can't afford what you buy. It's that you buy it, and then you store it, and you throw it away. If you're like me, guys, this is a good, if you moved four times, and you've never opened that bin of things inside that bin, you know what I'm talking about? You probably don't need that thing inside the bin. Because all we do is we, 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 uh, we collect things, then we get rid of them, they become somebody else's things, then they become somebody else's things, and that's what stuff is. It goes from person to person to person. Why not enjoy the process instead of waiting for it to be kind of pried out of your hands when you leave the earth? I don't know how it's landing with you today, but this will be a prayer that God will answer. If you don't think God speaks and answers prayer, I dare you, as a couple, as an individual, just open your heart and say, God, show me, show us how to honor you with our wealth. And here's kind of the catch. For that to happen, you have to come to a place in your life where you decide that you're going to surrender all of it. A lot of times we like to hold out our hand and we give God what's his and then we close that hand back and we say, well, the rest of this is mine. I'm gonna hold on to this, God. Father, someone else, please. Begin to a place where you're saying, God, I surrender my savings account, my checking account, my wealth, my retirement. God, I give it all to you. He's not gonna do something to you. He wants something for you. For all of us in the key of getting our hearts, it's not our money, he wants our hearts. He wants us to surrender that thing. For some of us, maybe it's, we got to surrender our finance. We have to surrender our, our college education. We have to surrender the fact that our kids are going to leave our homes soon. We have to surrender them to God and say, God, they're yours. So would you be willing as we close today, just, just for a month, just try this. To live a life where you say, God, I surrender all my stuff. I surrender all my income. I surrender my inheritance. It's all available to you. Now show me in my world, God, with opportunities, with my gifts and my skills, how I can honor you with all of it. And here's the thing. You kind of need to hurry up because eventually time runs out. Our time on earth is quick. Because what I know from talking to people, what I know from Scripture, is that as you get older, this principle begins to make more sense. But as we get older, we have less opportunity to live this out. So would you be willing to say, God, in my 20s, in my teens, in my 30s, as an engaged couple, as a newly, as a newly married couple, you've been married forever, whatever the age you're at, God, show me how to honor you with all of it. Can we do that, church? Let's pray as we close today. Jesus, thank you for this word today. Thank you that the words that were written thousands of years ago are just so relevant to us today in your word. God, I pray for everyone that's in the room, those that are watching online, no matter where we're at in our finances and in our goals and what that looks like for us and how we want to honor that, with, honor that um, in our life with you. God, that we would begin to just overlay this concept of honoring you in everything, not just in what we give, but in everything that we do and all that we spend and all that we do, God. God, allow us to pray that prayer this week. God, allow us to change maybe some habits that you've been wanting us to change for a long time. God, allow us to, to save and to give and to be generous and, and to have a plan to all the things that you want us so we can really be balanced in this area of our lives. God, we love you and praise you in Jesus' name.
Amen. Thank you for listening to the Lex City Church podcast. If you would like to support ministries of Lex City, visit lexcity.church/give. Please subscribe and follow us on social media at Lex City Church for more encouraging teachings and content.